Word for today, a ministry of Living Word Lutheran Church in Egan, Minnesota. It is our prayer that the message from God's Holy Word would bring a new and deeper love for Jesus in your life. Welcome to Living Word. I'm Pastor Nathan Olson. It's a blessing and a joy to be with you and sharing God's Word with you today. Here at our congregation, we believe that every single time we open up the Bible, that something miraculous takes place. You see, this isn't like any other ordinary book that you'd find on your shelf, but this is God's Word, inspired, inerrant, and true from cover to cover. And because of those convictions, we approach the reading of God's Word and its proclamation in a different manner. We approach this with an expectancy that God is going to do something here in our lives to convict us of sin, to point us to our Savior Jesus, and to teach us what it means to follow after Him. It's our prayer that these things would be true in your life as well, that He would be guiding you through His Word to create a heart of faith in you, to see Jesus and all the pages of Scripture, and to learn to trust in Him. Would you pray with me as we approach our text today? Heavenly Father, we bow before you now, and we commit this time to you, this proclamation of your Word. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, right now at our church, we are going through a series on the minor prophets. And they are not minor because they are somehow unimportant or insignificant, but they are compared and set apart from the other prophets in the Old Testament that are longer and give longer oracles. So, for example, you have some of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, that are referred to as the major prophets. They're longer books. But then you have other ones, like Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and others, that are a lot shorter. And it's not that they're, again, less important, they just are shorter oracles. Sometimes even just a chapter or two long. Well, today, we're going to be looking at the shortest of all of the minor prophets, and the shortest book in the Old Testament. It's only 21 verses long. Any guesses? Obadiah. Obadiah, that's right. That's where we're going today. The book of Obadiah. 21 verses, the shortest book in the Old Testament. God is calling out for a heart of faith, just as he has in all the prophets, but a heart of faith to a different and specific group. Last week we were looking at the prophet Amos and how God specifically was calling for a heart of faith for those who were going to church. Those who had their butts in the pew, who were worshiping God in the temple, they were diligent to be there every week. God was calling out for repentance and faith in their lives. But today, it's a little bit of a different audience that God is calling out to in this message from Obadiah. And that's where we're going to be looking today. His message is not given to those in the church, but we see rather that it's given to outsiders. And the reality is is that sometimes people think they're only accountable to God if they believe in him, but God doesn't only care about justice among his people, but he cares about justice for all people. He cares about the lives of those who are even outside of the church, who may be even questioning if there is a God. God cares about their lives. He cares about them. He wants them to be living by faith, and he cares that justice be administered and that sin be held accountable. And one of the nations that God addresses here in the book of Obadiah, then, is a nation called Edom. Now, Edom was a country that bordered Israel 
on the eastern side, uh, eastern and, and kind of southern region, across the Jordan River. And Edom had a history with Israel. They shared a common ancestor with Abraham. You have Abraham, and he fathers Isaac, and Isaac fathers Jacob and Esau. And the Edomites were descendants of Esau. And so we, we know this story probably pretty well, but just to kind of give some context, Jacob and Esau were twins. And they had a little bit of a tension, a little bit of a family feud there from the beginning. And you have the whole story of Jacob swindling the birthright from Esau for a bowl of stew, right? Esau comes back, he's, he's famished, he had just been out hunting all, all day, and he sees that Jacob has some, some food there, some stew, and so Jacob swindles the birthright away from Esau, and you have this tension that exists between these two men, and it started then in a big way, and it just continued on forward. Uh, when Esau realized that he had been swindled out of this, he ends up just extremely angry at his brother, wants to hunt him, hunt him down, wants to kill him, and Jacob flees leaves home, uh, goes and lives with distant relatives, and hides away for years from his brother Esau. Well, needless to say, this tension exists and just kind of uh, was some bad family dynamics. And this didn't just stop with Jacob and Esau, but this continued on even into the legacy of these two lines for centuries to come. Well, fast forward a little bit. Fast forward to uh, the the kingdom under David, under Solomon, and then the kingdom that gets taken into captivity. Well, we hear that when the Babylonians come to fight against Israel, we hear that the country of Edom, these descendants of Esau, these people with a bad family tension, instead of supporting or helping Israel, we hear that they took advantage of them. They captured some of the, the people who were being, you know, running away as refugees, they captured them, and they even killed some of them. They, they took advantage of the opportunity that this other nation was coming in, and they had a land grab, a power grab, and they took some of the cities to be theirs. And all the while, God isn't mocked, he's not fooled, he's not, you know, turning a blind eye, he sees exactly what's going on. He had been bringing this punishment upon his country and been using the Babylonians to do that. But Edom decides, hey, we're going to take care of some of the skim off the top here. We're going to go ahead and take advantage of the situation. Instead of defending or watching out for our distant family members here, we're going to instead pillage and plunder what we can get with our hands. And so this is a context then that Obadiah is writing into. He's writing and condemning those who were living in a, a violent way. He's condemning those who are living in kind of an arrogant, entitled way, a greedy, looking out for their own gain. He's writing against the country of Edom, reminding them that God takes sin seriously. Now, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh yeah, but Pastor Nathan, the Edomites, they, they weren't, you know, a part of the nation of Israel. They didn't have the temple of God. They're kind of looking in from the outside. Well, that's true. But you see, all people are God's people. God's heart is for all people, even those outside of Israel. And we see that regularly throughout the Old Testament, times where God would remind his people that he had created them to be a kingdom of priests, 
to be intercessors to the rest of the world. And, you know, a classic example of this that we are familiar with is the story of Jonah, where God sends Jonah to even a distant country to bring, bring proclamation of repentance and faith. And so even though the Edomites are, you know, a little bit more removed from the temple, they're further from Israel, they're still God's people. And so God sends a prophet to speak to them. And Obadiah, he sends a prophet to go to minister to these outsiders and to call for repentance and faith in their life, that they would turn to him. And so if you have your Bibles, we'll look at the first three verses there of Obadiah. Obadiah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent out among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? The accusations here against Edom from God are strong. Edom, there's pride in your heart. It's deceived you. It's pulled the fleece over your eyes. It's made you think of yourselves as higher than you ought. Like you're the one who has power and dominion and authority. Well, Edom, you will be brought down from your heights. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, your lofty dwellings, your houses that are so impressive, you will be laid, laid waste. You will be brought down from your exalted and prideful spirit. Uh, many scholars believe that as God is giving this description here of Edom, that the land of Edom was actually associated with what we think of as Petra, right? You have these areas in this region of Edom where there actually have been homes or buildings that have been hewn into the rock. And it's just really impressive. I mean, these are tourist sites and thousands upon thousands of people visit them every year to just to see the majesty of these just incredible um, homes and, and dwellings that have been just created beautifully into the rock. And I'm not going to lie, those are pretty cool. If, if I had literally carved a house into the rocks, I'd probably be a little bit prideful and arrogant as well. Look at my dwellings. Look at what my hands can do. See this? You guys just have houses built with sticks and, you know, and put together and built up. I actually live in, in the heart of the mountain. And this is pretty amazing things. But what wasn't cool, God says, was their arrogance. They thought much about themselves. They had a heart that was prideful and, and self-exalting instead of looking to the Lord. And so God, we see that he doesn't have a lot of room for pride. He doesn't have a lot of patience for arrogance. Anytime that people start thinking that we can do life on our own, and that we're big shots, that we have everything together, God has a way to come and humble those who think much about themselves. It's a very dangerous place to be, and usually doesn't end well for people. And in fact, every single person in the Bible that we have recorded who starts off trying to prove something to God of how great and awesome they are, they end up falling. And so you have that expression in the Proverbs, right? Pride comes before the fall. You know, God doesn't have a lot of patience for that. He wants people whose lives are dependent on him, who are seeking him, and doing so humbly with dependency on him. 
And so the first accusation that God brings against Edom is against their pride. They have thought much of themselves. They have set themselves up as people who think that they are so great. They aren't seeking the Lord. They aren't seeking you know, any, anything humbly in their life except for people to humbly come before their greatness. The second accusation that God has against Edom, we hear about in verses 10 through 12. And it has to do with the violence that we talked about earlier done to their relatives from Israel that they had taken advantage of. It says, Because of the violence done to your brother, Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered into his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem. This picture here is the picture of the exile and the captivity. And, and that day, what did they do? They didn't, help, they didn't help Jacob. They didn't help Israel. And instead, they, they kind of let them be on their own, defenseless, without any help for the refugees. Instead, killing them, participating in the war, not providing shelter, not providing aid, but instead being people of violence. And God notices it. You know, even though maybe they thought, hey, we're going to get away with this. We're going to end up pillaging and plundering and taking back some of these things that we want. Um, God wasn't fooled. He saw into the depths of their soul. He saw their hearts. And so God says in relation to these two sins of pride and violence, the judgment is coming. They're going to have to stand before their maker regarding the sins that they have done. And maybe for some of you here today, you look at these sins and you think, man, maybe not too far off for my life as well. If we're honest with ourselves, sometimes maybe we wouldn't call it violence, but do we take advantage of people? Sometimes we do. Do we, do we use people for our gain? Sometimes more often than we'd like to admit. Do we convince people to help us and, and manipulate them? Oftentimes, friends, even in the church that happens. And so when we look at this sin, and when we look at pride, I mean, certainly that's there, right? We, we tend to think a lot of times that the world revolves around us. We see that these same sins that God is accusing the people of Edom for are not too far from our own hearts as well. We hear then in verse 15, the day of the Lord is coming to judge the wickedness of Edom. It says in verse 15, for the day of the Lord is near upon all nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds will return on your own head. God's point is, Edom, judgment is coming. You're not going to escape. As you have done, it will happen to you. Right? It's the golden rule, except now for condemnation. As you have done, it will return to you. God does not look at the, the world and the sin and perversity that's out there and just turn a blind eye to it. He judges even those who are outside of the church because all people are God's people. And God doesn't turn a blind eye to sin, but brings justice to the wrongdoer. And what we see with Obadiah chapter 1 verse 15 is that this day of the Lord is that which is the judgment for the people. The day of the Lord, the, the coming final judgment day, it's coming for these people. And it's not just coming for them, but it's coming for all nations, it says. 
It gives personal application to Edom, but it says it's coming for all people. And the reality is, is that we're right in this boat too, right? Just as we also have thought about how these same sins intersect with our lives, the reality is, is that this same judgment does also. That for us as people who are included in all of the nations, the day of the Lord is near. Judgment comes for our, our own lives as well. That this is something that God is bringing about. A promised destruction, a promised judgment for sin. That he doesn't turn a blind eye to wickedness. He doesn't tolerate sin. But eventually, he brings a judgment upon it. And this day of the Lord, we think about this a lot of times in a very far off sense. right? You know, The ultimate day of the Lord, judgment day. When Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And it does have that connotation in the Bible, right? But the day of the Lord is also... Uh, also, there are times in the Old Testament and New Testament where it's an event or time that takes place that's also uh, mirroring or depicting that which will ultimately happen. And so for Edom, a call that, hey, this is near to you. This is coming. Judgment is going to be here in a real way. For you, unless you turn from your sin. Uh, same kind of thing with Jonah as he goes to Nineveh, right? Forty days in Nineveh will be overturned. Another day of the Lord moment. Judgment day is coming for you unless you turn and repent. But we see that this message of the day of the Lord and judgment coming is not just a message that God desires to bring for people that, you know, he would squash them like a bug or that it would instill some kind of a fear in their heart of now God's going to hit me with a lightning bolt or something. But instead, this declaration of the day of the Lord coming is God's declaration for the salvation of those who hear it. You think about a pronouncement of judgment. God doesn't pronounce that in order to revel in the destruction of the wicked, but instead that they would turn, that they would repent and live. It says in Ezekiel that God doesn't delight in the death of anyone, but rather that they turn from their evil ways and seek him. And that's the same kind of thing you have here in Obadiah. God giving a declaration of judgment to the people of, of Edom, but for the sake that they would also turn and seek him. It's almost like God is saying, if you keep going down this path that you're on, if you keep living in arrogance and pride and wickedness and violence, the result is, that judgment is coming for that sin. You will be destroyed. It's, it will destroy you itself. And I, as a just and fair God, will bring a consequence for these actions. But God doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want destruction. He doesn't want punishment. He wants people to repent and to turn. And as we'll hear about in the weeks to come as we look at the book of Jonah, that's exactly what happens for the people of Nineveh. Right? We get to hear the end of the story, not just the oracle of judgment, but also the result of how that proclaimed law of God caused the nation to turn to him. And this story in Obadiah, we don't get the full picture. We get, you know, it ends here. It's a cliffhanger. We don't know what the people of Edom do. Do they hear this message of the day of the Lord coming to judge their pride and their violence? Do they turn from it? Do they turn to God? You know, what, what is the result of Obadiah's message. We don't know. And I think that sometimes you have these cliffhangers for um, bringing application to our lives as well. That this message of 
the day of the Lord in judgment, it says in verse 15 that it's for all nations. It's for all people. God wants us to know, wherever we are, that he is watching our lives and he takes our sins seriously. The judgment is coming over that. Yet, unless we turn in faith and seek him. And, and so the same kind of cliffhanger message that we find in Obadiah is a little bit of a cliffhanger message that you yourself find your, your ears hearing today. It's like Obadiah's message for you is the same as it is for Edom. Are we going to be people who are going to repent and turn from our sin and turn to God or, or not? When we hear about the day of the Lord coming and God's intent for salvation of souls through this proclamation of judgment, how are we going to respond to that? Uh, what is it going to be received with? A heart of faith or a heart of ignorance? It's my prayer that we would receive this message just as God's calling Edom out on it, that we would receive it with the same kind of desire, that the day of the Lord would come to bring repentance and faith in our hearts and life as well. And as we assess the condition of our country, certainly we see these things, and it's easy to point the finger, right? We can say, well, our country certainly is prideful and arrogant. Look at the things we've made. Look at our big skyscrapers and our big economy and our big whatever, big military, big this or that. And it's easy for us to be people of violence as well, being involved in many wars, you know, taking advantage of people sometimes. And, and it's easy for us to maybe point the finger at our country and say, well, this message would be brought to them if Obadiah was alive today. And that's probably true. It probably would. But the much, much harder thing to do is to point the finger at ourselves and to say, would this message also be brought to me? Would this message against the prideful heart and those who are taking advantage of others, would, would Obadiah be proclaiming this message to me today? And the reality is, friends, more often than we'd want to admit, it is. Obadiah puts the finger right on our hearts as well. And God calls for repentance and faith for those who would be prideful and arrogant and looking at what they have done or violent and taking advantage of others, not helping when we see a friend in need. How many times for us do we just walk by on the other side? God's heart for us, friends, is that the day of the Lord of judgment would not pass uh, would pass us by, that would not stop and that it, we, we would not be judged for our sin, but rather that we would repent and that we would live. And that's my prayer and heart for you today as well, that you would hear the condemnation, the law of God, and that it would do the same kind of thing in your heart as it did for the people in Nineveh, that you would repent, that you would turn from your sin, and that you would seek after Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message from Obadiah. And I pray, Lord, for those who hear it today, that their hearts would recognize the sin that also abounds in them. The arrogance, the pride, the taking advantage of people, the manipulation that's there. Oh, Lord, I see those things even in my own heart days. And I ask, Lord, that you would forgive me, forgive us, and turn our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. www.livingwordafelc.org